0: Hello and welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast brought to you by Field Street Baptist Church. On this podcast, your host Cody Kitchen sits across the table from Dr. John Hall as he reviews his Sunday sermon from the week before. Welcome to Upon Further Review podcast, a show, as you already know, that takes a deep dive into the one and only Dr. John Hall sermon. (laughs) That's my favorite. I have to. I cannot do it. Stop doing that. (laughs) Well, we went uh, Sunday. We had a message um, titled "Useful to the Master" from Second Timothy, chapter two, verse twenty through twenty-six. Man, we're getting through Second Timothy.
1: We are. We're going to be done before Christmas. Wow. Regrettably.
0: I don't know if I've ever, I don't know what it's like to be a I think like people are going to wig out. <laughs> they think,
1: <laughs> they're conditioned to think that all of my sermon series are at least two plus years long. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just, I got here when you were in Luke, so I don't know <laughs> what it's like <laughs> no, to be in a new it's book. It's just four chapters in second, <laughs> Timothy. Come on, people. Well, it's been good, and we, uh, as you prepared this message, what are some things that came to mind?
1: What a short series this is going to be. <laughs> yeah you know, well, really, you know how how can we be useful to the master? I think I think all of us want to be useful to the master, but how do we evaluate you know how does that happen? What actions should we take and and that the sermon addresses that. So if you haven't listened to the sermon and if you were in the service but didn't listen to the sermon, <laughs> perhaps you'd want to go back and review this sermon because the text is really helpful on a practical way of how to identify actions that will help create a usefulness in the hand of the Lord regarding your life. That's good. That's what I thought about. Great. Well,
0: you started the message out talking about asking the question, as you just said, um, is the desire of your heart to be useful to the master? And you... Made a bold claim. If not, it should be right, which is correct. <laughs> right, <laughs> and uh, you talked about what interferes or what inhibits kind of this desire to be a tool in the Lord's hands. And then you went into your first idea, in which you must cleanse yourself, that we get in verse twenty through twenty-one. And you talk about you. You took our direction to specific words like implements and vessels or articles, depending on what version. And you talked about how it's in general, refers to using tools, utensils, furniture. And you were talking about Paul's mention of the gold and silver implements and how this analogy um, doesn't matter if it's gold, silver, wood, or clay. It must be clean for honorable uh, purposes. And you went on to talk about the trash, the waste bucket, in the house and what that means and how it must be cleaned completely from filth before it could be be used. And um, talked about how to be useful for the master, we must be cleansed of, in our heart and our mind and what that looks like. And then the second idea, we're going to put them together and then ask the question is, he said you must prepare for, go- for good in verse 21. And in that, you were talking about how we are to be careful in preparation and that, that's a need for us to... Um, must be prepared for every good work that is before us. And you talk about how different characters of the Bible, the examples that they were. And then the point of it was that we are to present preparation for a future work. Um, There's preparation that happens for something in the future. And so my question is, what does being cleansed, why does being cleansed help us prepare for good?
1: And what does that look like? Right. I think we have to be a clean vessel inside and out, particularly inside. And only the Lord can really deal with the filth that is inside each of us. And I think we're more apt to be useful to the Lord if our hearts are right before Him. And how do we get there? Well, it seems to me one of the most obvious steps is you have to you have to have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit where the Spirit pretty much unceasingly reminds you of and keeps you aware of your sin so that you keep your sin confessed before God, mm-hmm. seeking His forgiveness and asking for His grace to not continue in a pattern of sin that would either A, you know, create a, a filthy inside, so to speak. Yeah. Um, that's. I think this is actually the hardest step and action to take to be useful in the hands of the Lord is making sure we're offering Him a heart that's right and good before Him and pure and make sure our motives are squared away, our sin confessed, to keep very short accounts with God. I I just personally, the most painful part of my prayer life is the confessing of my sin. I feel like I'm doing it all the time. It's so burdensome sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes I'm just, it's unrelenting. Um, but I think if we want to be useful to the Lord, we have to pay attention to the purity of our hearts and the integrity of our, our lives before God. And I mean, it's it's hard to want to lead people and preach to people and teach people and all the things that we do both in our homes and outside of our homes and in the church and outside of the church if we ourselves are not committed to the very things we're calling people to. Mm-hmm. So that's the challenge for the preacher for sure is to the life that I'm calling the congregation to live, I have to live first. And the enemy knows that. He just comes after me all the time. So I think there is a, there's a sense in which we just have to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And, and God gives us, by His grace, a conscience. And what we all need to be worried about is we're no longer bothered by our sin. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah, We don't want that. So when you're bothered by your sin, it prompts you to confess your sin to God and ex- receive His forgiveness. I think that's one of the most important steps in being useful uh, to the Master. That's good. Yeah, and God help us in all this because I think all of us, struggle with that. I, the imagery we have in the scripture, you know, sin so easily entangles us, and sin is a, a crushing weight, Paul talks about in the book of Romans. Man, all those analogies are so correct, metaphorically. Yeah. Um, so that's that'd be my laborious answer. Yeah.
0: Well, I appreciate you being vulnerable, too, because I know, uh, for me, I often think about <clears throat> what you just said. I feel like I'm always confessing something, and I think at times <laughs> it feels like so not monotonous that's not a good word but it's like why am I keep doing this you know I think of Paul when he he says I'm sure his meant something else and a little deeper but still I don't know why I do Mm -hmm. what I what I not do but yet I, I don't do what I should do and I just think about that a lot and I think we all struggle with that at some point yes and probably more than we would like to admit often yeah and so it's such a good reminder and just the truth of the reality is, is that we are to be cleansed, and we, it's something we have to do daily, and even as I've said before, you said before, moment by moment process where mm-hmm. we just come before the Lord, and it's hard to do some not to come before the Lord, but it's hard to I feel at least for me to do it over and over again. And it just... Yeah, and,
1: and we don't live in a monastery. I, I don't live in a in bubble wrap. Right. I live in the world, in the the world that allures and entices and seduces. Everyone else does the same to me also. Yeah. So I don't get an exemption because I'm called to be a minister. In fact, sometimes I think it's just it makes it all the more challenging because you realize the importance of, of a life of integrity as consistently as possible. But none of this is, none of this is even remotely possible without the grace of God. Amen.
0: Oh, and that's a perfect segue into your third idea and what you brought Sunday, which was you must pursue a pure heart. And uh, this one, this one is, re- I think, really what uh, really got my attention on this one was I love the way that you, you did it in verse 22. I'm just going to read it since it's just one verse it says now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And you tell us how Paul commands Timothy to flee from youthful lust and we're talking about, you know, what are these useful lusts in, in which Paul is speaking of? And you remind us of those things that when you were a youth that you desired so much that you wanted. And um, some of it, the desires for wealth, power, envy, selfish assertiveness. And um, you said instead, though, we are to pursue righteous, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And you talk about how the result of this pursuit of righteousness, faith, love, and peace is a pure heart. Mm-hmm. And I just I love that Paul added that of this is what the result is. Because oftentimes we're told to do something and don't often know, okay, what is that result supposed to be or look like? And so Paul's smart, the spirit through Paul is smart and saying, but this is that result. This is what it should look like. Right. And, um you say we practice love, we seek peace in the way that we inter- interact with others. We do this with others who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so my question is what does it mean to have a pure heart? And how do you personally pursue the things of God for a pure
1: heart? <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I think a, a pure heart before God is to to be right with Him by faith in Christ, but also to strive to live a righteous life, an upright life, not a not a pious life or a religiously elite life. That's not what Scripture calls us to, but it's it's this effort that we make because of our love for Christ and our desire to be like Christ that we pursue righteousness hmm. and i think that is the that's the high calling of all christians is to hunger and thirst for righteousness the righteousness that we saw in Christ via the gospels and then how do we do that only by grace hmm. And I think it involves reading the Bible, uh, saturating your mind and heart in the truths of Scripture. It involves prayer. It involves fellowship with a church, a community of believers where we're all kind of striving together to pattern our lives after Jesus. And then having people in our lives who will lovingly, I don't want to say hold us to account because I I don't think we allow just any and everybody to... Hold us accountable. I think we're all pretty selective about who we allow mm-hmm. to fill that role. You know who th- th- who we would confess. You know our deepest, darkest, whatever. Right. Um, but I I think I I don't think it's entirely easy or even possible to live with a pure heart if you're not in the Word of God if you're not being prayerful if you're not in a community of faith, I don't think it's possible to live a pure life outside of, of these critical aspects. Uh, you have to know the truth of God's Word. You have to pray. I think you have to be engaged in a church. You have to confess your sin. You have to want this. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of us grow in Christ by accident. And I do believe where our sanctification is concerned that that is a cooperative effort with ourselves in the Spirit. Relative to our salvation, that's all God. But the process and progress of sanctification is a choice of our will to cooperate with Him. And, right. I, and I, almost, I almost have to daily say, I, I want that in my life. It has to be reflexive almost, not... No, eh, Casually, you you have to want it and hunger for it. So I guess you know that that's a stab at it. I don't I don't know. I don't have a step by step. Here's how you here's how you arrive at a pure heart. But I, I think it has to involve the Bible, prayer, confession of sin, uh, engaging in a community of faith where you're striving for this with others of like mind, patterned after Jesus Christ. And if Jesus ain't a part of it, you have no hope of ever having a pure heart. Yeah.
0: That's good. Yeah. An illustration I heard somewhere—I don't know where I heard it from—but was talking about, you know, if if you're a water connoisseur, knowing like what reverse osmosis does in, in water, and and water. It's probably a really bad illustration how I'm going to explain it, but <laughs> that how that water becomes pure after this reverse osmosis going through filters, all of that. In the same way as we. Obviously, as you just explained, through sanctification and as we are justified through Christ and as we continue sanctified, it's something that we have to do on a daily basis of going through that osmosis. That's not the you know, a good analogy, but going through that process with the Lord of, of yes, confessing, as, we just, as you just said, and then also reading Scripture, growing closer to Him. And for me, and I know this doesn't work for everybody, you've said this before too, is I have to do it in the morning because when I wake up, if I go out without my day, without being in the Word, yeah. I feel it the rest of the day. Sure. And there's others that do it at night, and I think that's great if that works for them. But for me, it's a daily reminder that's fresh on my mind in that morning of, okay, I just spent time with the Lord. I'm cleansed. I'm ready to go. And yeah. obviously, before I lay my head down, I do the same, right. just maybe not in a greater context of in the morning reading. And yeah. It's something that you have to do, and I don't mean like, you have to do it or else, but it's, I don't know how you don't do it and walk on through the day.
1: Yeah, there has to be Um, some intentionality about it. um, Identifying when you're going to be and meet with the Lord. I see the example of Christ in the gospels, you know, very early in the morning, he went to a solitary place and he met with God. I think if Jesus felt that need to do that, how much more should we feel that need? But, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I, I'm more of a morning meet-with-the-Lord guy. Because once I leave the house, I just I don't know from one day to the next what my day is going to look like. I, I plan my day and try to organize my day to make the best use of my day because I have the same amount of time as everybody else, but I have to churn out a pretty good volume of work during the week to meet my obligations and responsibilities. But... Yeah, I try to anchor it all in the morning. I, I'm more of a morning person. I get up at three in the morning, so yeah. I have an hour and a half, two hours before I'm out the door to go run. But um I do when I'm running, I do talk with the Lord. I mean I have at least an hour while I'm out running to to pray and I think through a lot of problems and pray about a lot of things, pray for a lot of people so i think that helps tender my heart towards the lord but man once i get to the office it just i just don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next mm-hmm. one thing might set me off i don't know it's just you know right now i got a slab leak in my office so my <laughs> office is in complete disarray again and and i just i don't work well in clutter and disorganization so it just you know by grace i just oh lord help me because this is not natural for me but that's good but Again, I think what I'm trying to say is there has to be an intent on the part of the believer to want to grow in holiness and then to adopt and practice some habits that help foster that. It's like I heard a guy say once, it's the, the crucible of Christ-likeness, that it's, you know something that is working you to shape you and mold you to be more like Jesus, which should be the goal for right. all of us uh, to cooperate with God in that because the Bible says in Romans 8.29 that God's goal for us is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. So God, yeah. you know, God's going to have to—God's for sure going to work in us to produce more of Christ in us. But if it's easy, uh, let me know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll try. Yeah. Y'all— Y'all send us some emails and let us know how easy it is for you. <laughs> Please. Yeah.
0: Speaking of how easy it is, the fourth point. Yeah. Man, I was ready to skip over that. I was ready to walk out on this one. But, you <laughs> know, I decided to stay. Well, a lot, lot of people did. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about how or we must refuse foolishness in verse 23 and 24. Yeah. And it's wise on the Spirit's part through Paul that he brought this up, especially right after... Talking about a pure heart, and I just think it's, again, it's God and the Spirit. They know what they're doing, obviously, but it's just it's so remarkable how he talk the, the transgression of the or the the progression. I mean, of the the verses and this last one that we talk about is talking about foolishness mm-hmm. that we must have the pure heart and now refuse foolishness. And um, you talked about how this pursuit of peace will be the compass. That you talk about how will lead Timothy to rev- refuse and avoid foolish and arrogant speculations and how Paul urges Timothy to revo- refuse these pointless arguments. And um, It's one thing to be arrogant and know better, um, yet it's another thing altogether to be ignorant and not know it and know it and do little to get better and more accurately informed. And The challenge that is to obviously learn about it, what that means, and also how to um, how to do it. And you talked about what a quarrel is, and how Paul expands on the reasoning and counsel for why we should refuse these arguments. And um, you even talked about how it, it's different. Um, this isn't that the minister should just be a punching bag and mm-hmm. not say anything, but yet how the in the pastoral epistles mm-hmm. we see the teaching gift, how it distinguishes. I love that you brought that up, distinguishes between uh, pastors and deacons and the broad importance of, of preaching mm-hmm. and teaching and why it's so important. Um, and the one thing I love that you brought up at the kind of as you concluded was the assumption is that you will be wrong. There's no <laughs> way around it. Right. But how you emphasized we are to be patient with those who wrong you, that the Christian life's not easy. And no. that... That, that hit hard. Right, <laughs> um, yes. And I know I'm not the only one, but it's it was such a good reminder of that. And, and I know for me, as I thought about it, and I'm still thinking about it, that's hard. Mm. And I think you're lying if you say it's not. At right. least I could be wrong. But right. But it's hard. And my question is, what do you do to help in not being quarrelsome <laughs> and to be kind to all? What can we do, I guess, also is another way to ask that, of of helping that, because oftentimes it's easy for me to respond when I shouldn't respond at times. Yeah, that's
1: a great question and relevant for all Christians. Not every issue is worth an argument over. And asking for the Lord's help to discern what's worth arguing over and what's not would be a helpful starting point for all of us. I had an I had an incident even last night in one of my classes at DBU where a student made a statement that was just off. <laughs> and it was a a bit of a revisit from a, a a lecture and discussion I had in that class the previous week. So this particular student circled back to it, made some weird comments. And left the door open for me to just, I mean, I could have just sliced and diced. But all I could hear was what I was preaching. <laughs> <laughs> and so the Lord, in <laughs> his sense of humor maybe, gave me the perfect opportunity to actually practice what I preached. So I, I refrained from engaging in a foolish argument that would have only led to a quarrel. And the, the needle would have moved neither for either one of us. Hmm. So you, asking God for a discerning heart and mind. And I think the more you you saturate and marinate your heart and your mind in the Word of God, the more you will be able to identify what's worth taking a stand for and what isn't. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, and then some of it's context, who it is, what they said. I mean, things like that always weigh into it. Is this a common theme? Is this, is this criticism? Is there any kernel of truth to the criticism? Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody's always upset with me about something. I mean, it's just I've come to accept it's a way of life. I, I, do I like it? No. Uh, I don't get out of bed every morning and go, man, today my goal is to make someone upset with me. I don't do that. It just happens all by itself. It's all organic. So sometimes when, you know, someone gets in your face and they're putting their finger in your chest and they're telling you, you know, what you said or what you did is inappropriate or not becoming of a man of God or whatever and you yeah. want to fight back. You have to you have to remember these words that Paul wrote to Timothy. Hmm. And there there are seasons and subjects that demand and merit a response, but the vast majority of them, they only sting for a little bit. And, you know, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes those incidences serve the purpose of kind of keeping us all humble. Mm I have no shortage of individuals who are totally committed to my humility. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I just like to thank all of you for that, for filling your calling. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: and I hope this is a good example. I, I thought of this on Sunday too. If it's not, you can rebuke me and you can correct it. But Sunday morning. Uh, no, I thought of this Sunday oh, as you oh. were talking about this. Is you know instead when, of listening to the sermon. Well, no, it, oh, okay. it, it made me think of it, but. <laughs> And you talked about it when you were we were in Luke about Peter yeah. and how his reaction to when Jesus was being arrested, how his initial reaction yeah. of cutting off the ear. I, I just think about often I feel like, not that I'm Peter all the time in that situation, but a lot of times I tend to want to respond in what I think is righteous or, or the right way. Yes. And that's why I think of Peter in that moment is sometimes we just react out of reaction.
1: Right. And, and, and sometimes, it, forgive me for interrupting no, for you, but sometimes that's a direct result of being young mm. and not and there's nothing wrong with being sure. young man being young's great but i know too when i was younger i i was more inclined to get in the middle of things and react more quickly than i do now when i'm you know older and i've been in a few skirmishes where i learned a few things so i i i totally relate to peter and i totally relate to what you're saying like I I had a lot more zeal to fight over really—fight, quarrel, argue over silly, ultimately silly things. And when you're older and and wiser, ask anybody. With age comes a little more discretion in terms of—and not—I didn't do anything immoral. I just—I was more willing to mix it up about sillier things, whereas now I save my energy and efforts for kind of the bigger things. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Man, it makes yeah makes perfect. Sorry sense. for
0: interrupting. No, it was good. I mean, that's where I was getting at. Is sometimes <laughs> you just have to learn, as you said, and allow the spirit to, to teach. And I remember the phrase that it used to bother me a lot. It doesn't bother me as much more as when people say, oh, it's not a hill worth dying on." But as I, as you said, it get, I, I, realize that I understand what they say by yeah. that. Is it's not worth. Well, it's it, not
1: worth it. It's but not. when you're young, you think every hill's worth dying on. Right. I know I did. Mm-hmm. Do too, and absolutely. now I'm like nah it ain't worth it <laughs> it ain't worth it you know yeah. it's like uh, sometimes what's the old saying uh, if you get into a, a pig pen and you have a fight with a pig and get all messy the pig loves it hmm. I didn't tell that exactly right but that's no, the gist. Yeah. yeah so that's a good point yeah but not not every not every hill is worthy of death yeah <laughs> Yours or somebody else's, you know, Absolutely. and I don't mean that figuratively, yeah, not sure. literally. But, um, and I think I I love what Paul is saying to Timothy in in Second Timothy because here we have Paul at the end of his life, right before his execution, and he's kind of the sage, stroking his beard, is kind of what I you know he's passing on this these nuggets of great wisdom to his young protege and saying, Hey Timothy, here's what you battle over. Mm. Go after the false teachers. Go after false doctrine But one of the ways you do that Is to make certain that you are faithful To discharge your primary duty Which is to preach the word Because the best antidote for false teaching Is to get the truth out there And the best way we get truth out there Is to relentlessly, tirelessly, laboriously Teach and preach the word of God It's good. And and please don't ask me to repeat that. <laughs> yeah, please do. You can reverse it if you do. Yeah, some students say, is that going to be on the test? <laughs> yes, it's all going to be on the test.
0: Which as we kind of wrap this podcast up. Your last, as you started concluding, finally, you must correct gently. And I love that you ended with this. And again, it was just one of those heart checks, at least for me. And the basic point of it is that all true repentance is stirred by God. And we can't change ourselves. And the hope of gentle correction is that the Lord may grant them a change of heart is what you said on Sunday. And such a good reminder that the change of heart comes from him, not from us. And he uses us, which is great. Um, but I often have to remember that sometimes is the change of hearts coming from the Lord, not me. Nothing that I will say eloquently, but that the Lord uses me sometimes, which I'm grateful for. Um and that he even finds fit to use me. But just a good reminder that we need to be gentle yeah, right. when we do get to that point. And a reminder that Paul obviously felt needed to tell Timothy and um, now we get to benefit from that mm. today. So good. Yeah. it was good. Thank, Thank you for you. your time. That's was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, what are some final words, some final thoughts as we close?
1: Yeah. Hey, we're going to finish second Timothy before the end of the year. <laughs> that should encourage people. It's exciting. Yeah. And I'm working on a sermon even this week where Paul gets to the, kind of the grand finale of his appeal, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, where mm. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, preach the word. Mm. Oh, it's so good. I can't wait. That's really why I wanted to preach 2 Timothy, just so <laughs> I could get to that. <laughs>
0: That's going to be good. Yeah,
1: so I, I, I had a lady tell me uh, after the service Sunday, I've really enjoyed 2 Timothy. What are you going to do next? <laughs> thought i was going to do second third john but the more i get into it it's it's real uh deep dive on hospitality yeah. i don't know we'll see i gotta preach it sometime yeah anyway, that's my wherever the thought. lord that's leads. my final thought Great. this ain't much of a thought but that's my final thought
0: well guys as always we're so thankful for the time that you spend with us on tuesdays or whenever you listen to this podcast Um, As always, we say, remember, make Christ known by what you say and how you live. Y'all have a great week. Thank you all for listening. And be sure to subscribe to Upon Further Review so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, please be sure to reach out to us at info at fieldstreet.com.
1: Thanks for tuning in.